Chapter Two, Part Two of the Swordmaker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Swordmaker by Robert Barr. Chapter Two, Part Two. I thought as much. Very well. I will tell you what could go wrong. Some baron may entrap you and your score and forthwith hang you all from his battlements now it is but common sense to prevent such a termination if it be possible therefore seek out the empress tell her that you and your twenty companions are about to embark on an enterprise greatly beneficial to the land say that you go incognito and that even should you fail twill bring no discredit to your royal house but point out the danger of which i forewarn you ask her to get the signature of the emperor attached to a safe conduct together with the device of the great seal then if the baron who captures you cannot read he will still know the potency of the picture and as there is no loophole to my acceptance of this proof i will for your convenience and for my own protection write the safe conduct on as sound a bit of parchment as ever was signed in a palace saying this herr goebel rose and went to his desk in a corner of the room where he indited the memorial he had outlined and after sprinkling it with sand presented it to roland who read these presents warn him to whom they are presented that roland the bearer is my son and that what he has done has been done with my sanction therefore he and his twenty comrades are to be held scatheless pending an appeal to me in my capital city of frankfort whomsoever disobeys this instrument forfeits his own life and that of his family and followers while his possessions will be confiscated by the state roland frowned doesn't it please you asked goebel his suspicions returning well it seems to me rather a plebeian action to attack a man's castle and then if captured crawl behind a drastic threat like this the merchant shrugged his shoulders that's a sentimental objection but of course you need not use the document unless you wish though i think if you see twenty-one looped ropes dangling in the air your hesitation will vanish oh not on your own account cried goebel as a sign of dissent from his visitor but because of those twenty fine young fellows who doubtless wait to drink wine with you that is true said roland with a sigh folding up the stiff parchment opening his cloak and thrusting it under his belt standing up as he did this bring me that parchment bearing the emperor's signature and the great seal and you will find the golden coins awaiting you very well at what time this evening would it please you to admit me friends of mine are coming to-night but they are not likely to stop long merely a few handshakes and a few cups of wine i shall be ready for you when the cathedral clock strikes ten with this the long conference ended and the aged servitor in the hall showed roland into the fargasa as the young man proceeded down the vecmarkt into the salgasa he muttered to himself the penurious old scoundrel god keep me in future from dealing with such to the very last he suspects me of being a forger and has written this with his own hand doubtless filling it with secret marks still perhaps it is as well to possess such a safeguard 
this is my loophole out of the coming enterprise i fear we are all cowards noble and merchant alike he walked slowly past the city front of the palace cogitating some means of entering without revealing his identity but soon found that even this casual scrutiny made him an object of suspicion he could not risk being accosted for if taken to the guard-room and questioned searched perhaps and the sword found on him a complication would arise adding materially to the difficulties already in his way quickening his pace he passed through the fartful and so to the river-bank where he saw that the side of the salhof fronting the mine was guarded merely by one or two sentries for the mob could not gather on the surface of the waters as it gathered on the cobblestones of the salgasa and the fartor retracing his steps the prince walked rapidly until he came to the bridge advancing to the iron cross which commemorates the foul sacrifice to the devil as the first living creature venturing upon that ancient structure here he leaned against the parapet gazed at the river façade of the palace and studied his problem there were three sets of steps from the terrace to the water a broad flight in the centre for use upon state occasions and a narrow flight at either end the western staircase being that in ordinary use and the eastern steps trodden by the servants carrying buckets of water from the river to the kitchen the nearer steps he said to himself offer the most feasible opportunity i'll try them he counted his money for here was probably a case for bribery he found twenty-four gold pieces and some loose silver returning the coins to his pouch he walked to the land and proceeded up the river until he reached a wharf where small skiffs were to let one of these he engaged and refusing the services of a waterman stepped in and drifted down the stream he detached sword and scabbard from his belt removed the cloak and wrapped the weapon in it placing the folded garment out of sight under the covering at the prow with his paddle he kept the boat close to the right bank discovering an excellent place of concealment under the arch supporting the steps through which the water flowed he waited by the steps for a few moments until a scullion in long gabardine came down and dipped his bucket in the swift current here my fine fellow accosted roland do you wish to earn a pair of gold pieces and he showed the yellow coins in the palm of his hand the menial's eyes glistened and he cast a rapid glance over his shoulder yes he replied breathlessly then leave your bucket where it is and step into this wherry the underling again with a cautious look around did as he was ordered now throw off that outer garment and give it to me roland put it on over his own clothes and flung his body beside the cloak and sword for the servant was bareheaded get under that archway and keep out of sight until you hear me whistle taking the bucket roland mounted the steps and strode out of the brilliant sunlight into the comparative gloom of the corridor that led to the kitchen he had been two hours with the merchant and it was now the time of midday eating everyone was hurrying to and fro with no time to heed anything that did not pertain to the business in hand so placing the bucket in a darkened embrasure the intruder flung off the gabardine beside it and searching found a back stair which he ascended once in the upper regions he knew his way about and proceeded directly to his mother's room being sure at this hour to find her within 
on his unannounced entrance the empress gave utterance to an exclamation that indicated dismay rather than pleasure but she hurried forward to meet and embrace him oh roland she cried what do you hear how came you to the palace by way of the river my boat is under the arch of the servant's stairway and i have not a moment to lose how did you escape from Ehrenfels? and why have you come here surely you know the palace will be the first place searched for you there will be no search mother take my word for it that no one is aware of my absence from Ehrenfels, but the custodian and for the best of reasons he dare not say a word do not be alarmed i beg of you i am free by his permission and shall return to the castle before he needs me indeed mother so far from jeopardizing my own safety i am here to preserve it he drew from under his belt herr goebel's parchment and handed it to her in case it should occur to the good archbishop or any other noble to hang me i thought it best to get such a declaration signed by the emperor and decorated with the great seal of the empire then if any attempt is made on my life as well as on my liberty i may produce this imperial decree and bring my case to frankfort surely surely exclaimed the agitated lady her hands trembling as she held the document and tried to read it i can obtain your father's signature but the great seal must be attached by the chamberlain very good mother the chamberlain will do as his majesty orders the seal is even more important than the signature if it comes to that and i am sure the chamberlain will make no objection when the instrument is for the protection of your son's life it is not necessary to say that i am here or have anything to do with the matter but lose not a moment and give orders that no one shall enter this room the empress hastened away with the parchment while the young man walked impatiently up and down the room it seemed hours before she returned but at last she came back with the document duly executed roland thrust it under his belt again and reassuring his mother who was now weeping on his shoulder he tried to tear himself away the empress detained him until with fumbling hands she unlocked a drawer in a cabinet and took from it a bag that gave forth a chink of metal as she pressed it on her son i must not take it he said i am quite well provided the generous archbishops allow me seven hundred thalers a month which is paid with exemplary regularity there are only five hundred thalers here replied the empress i wish there were more but you must accept it for i should feel easier in my mind to know that you possess even that much do they misuse you at Ehrenfels, my son oh no 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 i live like a burgomaster you need feel no fear on my account mother Ehrenfels is a delightful spot with old bingen just across the water i like it much better than i did frankfort with its howling mobs and shall be very glad to get quit again of the city then with a hurried farewell he left the weeping woman and descending the back stair secured the abandoned gabardine put it on and so came to the water's edge entering into possession of his boat again returning the craft to its owner he resumed sword and cloak once more and found his way to a tavern where he ordered a satisfactory meal in the evening he arrived at the rhinegold and meeting the landlord in the large empty public cellar asked that worthy if his friends had assembled yet and was told they were all within the kaiser's cellar good he cried i said i would be gone a week 
but here I am within a day. If that's not justifying a man's word, I should like to know what is. And now, landlord, set forth the best meal you can provide, with a double quantity of wine. For yourself, sir? For all, landlord. What else? The lads have had no supper, I'll warrant. A little black bread has gone the rounds. All the more reason that we should have a huge pasty, steaming hot, or two or three of them if necessary. And your best wine, landlord, that from the Rheingau. But the landlord demurred. A meal for yourself, sir, as leader, I could venture upon. But feeding a score of hungry men is a different matter. Remember, sir, I have not seen the colour of their silver for many a long day, and since these evil times have set in, I am a poor man. Sordid silver, out upon silver, unless it is some silvery fish from the river, fresh and firm. And that's a good idea. We will begin with fish while you prepare the meat. Tis gold I deal with to-night, and most of it is for your pouch. Run your hand in here and enjoy the thrill. And Roland held open the mouth of the bag which contained his treasure. Ah! cried the innkeeper, his face aglow. No such meal is spread to-night in Frankfort as will be set before you. There was a great shout as Roland entered the Kaiser cellar, and a hurrah of welcome. Ha! renegade, cried one, have you shirked your task so soon? Coward, coward, poltroon, was the cry. I see by his face he has failed. Never mind, Roland. Your chair at the head of the table always awaits you. There is a piece of black bread left, and though the wine is thin, it quenches thirst. Roland flung off his cloak, hung it and the sword on a peg, and took his seat at the head of the table. Pushing away the flagons that stood near him, he drew the leathern bag from his belt, and poured the shining yellow coins on the table, at the sight of which there arose such a yell that the stout beams above them seemed to quake. Apologize, demanded Roland, when the clamour quieted down. The man who refuses to apologize, and that abjectly, must take down his sword from the peg and settle with me. A shout of apology was the response. We grovel at your feet, high mightiness, cried the man who had called him poltroon. I have taken the liberty of ordering a fish and meat supper with a double quantity of Rudersheimer wine. Again I offer to fight any man who resents this encroachment on my part. I could spit you with a hand tied behind my back, cried one, but I am of a forgiving nature and will wait instead for the spitted fowl. Most of this money, continued Roland quietly, goes, I suspect, to the landlord as a slight recognition of past kindness, but I am promised a further supply this evening, which will be divided equally among ourselves. I ask you, therefore, to be sparing of the wine. Here he was compelled to pause for some moments, and listen to groans, hoots, howls, and the rapping of empty flagons on the stout table. The commotion was interrupted by the entrance of the landlord, who brought with him the promised Rhine wine, for, hearing the noise, he supposed it represented impatience of the company at the delay, a mistake which no one thought it worth while to rectify. He promised that the fish would follow in a very few minutes, and went out to see that his word was kept. "'Why should we be sparing of the wine?' asked a capable drinker, who had drained his flagon before asking the question. "'With all that money on the table, it seems to me a scandalous proviso.' 
"'Tis not a command at all,' replied Roland, "'but merely a suggestion. "'I spoke in the interests of fair play. "'An appointment was made by me for ten o'clock this evening, "'and I wish to keep it and remain uninfluenced by wine.' "'What's her name, Roland?' inquired the wine-bibber. "'I was about to divulge that secret when you interrupted me. "'The name is Herr Goebel. "'What? The cloth merchant on the Fargasser?' "'Is it cloth he deals in? "'I don't know the particulars of his occupation "'beyond the facts that he is a merchant "'and lives in the Fargassa. "'This morning I enjoyed the privilege "'of presenting to Herr Goebel "'a mutually beneficial plan "'which would give us all something to do. "'Is Goebel to be our employer? "'I am a sword-forger "'and work for no puny cloth merchant,' "'said Kurtzbold. "'This appointment,' continued Roland, unheeding, is set for ten o'clock, and I expect to return here before half-past, therefore... Therefore we're not to drink all the wine. Exactly. Their leader sat down as the landlord, followed by an assistant, entered, carrying the paraphernalia for the substantial repast, and proceeded to set the table. When the hilarious meal was finished, the company sat for another half-hour over its wine. Then Roland rose, buckled on his sword, and flung his cloak over his shoulders. "'Roland, I hope you have not sold your soul for this gold.' "'No, but I have pledged your bodies, and my own as well. "'Groisel, will you act as secretary and treasurer, "'scrutinise the landlord's bill with a generous eye, "'and pay him the amount we owe? "'If anything is left, we will divide it equally.' "'And with that he waved his hand to them, "'departing amidst a round of cheers, for the active youths were tired of idleness. Punctuality is the politeness of kings, and as the bells of Frankfort were ringing ten o'clock, Roland knocked at the door of the merchant's house in the Fargasser. It was promptly opened by the ancient porter, who, after securing it again, conducted the young man up the solid stairway to the office-room on the first floor. Ushered in, the prince found the merchant seated in his usual chair, as if he had never moved from the spot where Roland had left him at noon that day. Half a dozen candles shed their soft radiance over the table, and on one corner of it, close by Herr Goebel's right elbow, the visitor saw a well-filled doe-skin bag, which he fancied might contain the thousand thalers. "'Good evening to you, Herr Goebel,' said the young man, doffing his bonnet. "'I hope you have not trodden too closely on the heels of my appointment,' thus withdrawing you prematurely from the festivities, which I trust you enjoyed all the more, that you breathed the air of liberty again. The occasion, sir, was solemn rather than festive, for although I was glad to see my old friends again, and I believe they were glad to see me, the condition of the city is such, and growing rapidly worse, that merchants cannot rejoice when they are gathered together. Ah, oh, well, Herr Goebel, we will soon mend all that. "'How long will it require to load your boat and choose your crew?' "'Everything can be ready by the evening of the day after tomorrow. "'You will select one of your largest barges. "'Remember, it must house twenty-one men besides the crew and the goods. "'Yes, I shall see that complete arrangements are made for your comfort. "'Thank you, but do not provide too much luxury. "'It might arouse suspicion from the barons who search the boat.' "'But the barons will see you and your men in the boat.' "'I think not. At least, we don't intend to be seen. 
I will call upon you again tomorrow at ten o'clock. Will you kindly order your captain to be here to meet me? I wish you to give him instructions in my presence that he is to do whatever I ask of him. We will join the boat on the Rhine between Ehrenfels and Asmanshausen. Instruct him to wait for us midway between the two places on the right bank. And now the money, if you please. The money is here said the merchant, sitting up a little more stiffly in his chair as he patted the well-stuffed bag. "'The money is here if you have brought the instrument that authorises you to take it.' "'I have brought it with me, mine Herr.' "'Then show it to me,' demanded the merchant, adjusting his horn-glasses with the air of one who will not allow himself to be hoodwinked. "'With the greatest pleasure,' returned the young man, standing before him. He unfastened his cloak and allowed it to fall at his feet, then whisked out his sword and presented the point of it to the merchant's throat. Goebel, who had been fumbling with his glasses, suddenly became aware of his danger, and shrank back so far as his chair allowed, but the point of the sword followed him. "'What do you mean by that?' he gasped. "'I mean to show you that in this game iron is superior to gold. Your card is on the table, represented by that bag.' "'Mine is still in my hand, and unplayed. "'But it takes the trick, I think. "'I hope you see the uselessness of resistance. "'You cannot even cry out, "'for at the first attempt a thrust of this blade "'cuts the very roots of utterance. "'It will be quite easy for me to escape, "'because I shall go quietly out with the bag under my cloak, "'telling the porter that you do not wish to be disturbed.' "'It is the prince of thieves you are, then,' said Herr Goebel. "'So it would appear. "'With your right hand, pass that bag of gold across the table, "'and beg of me to accept it.' "'The merchant promptly did what he was told to do. "'The young man put his sword back in its place, laughing joyously, "'but there was no answering smile on the face of Herr Goebel. "'As he had said, the condition of things in Frankfurt, "'especially in that room, failed to make for merriment. "'Roland, without being invited, drew up a chair, and sat down at the opposite side of the table. "'Please do not attempt to dash for the door,' he warned, "'because I can quite easily intercept you, "'as I am nearer to it than you are, and more active. "'Call philosophy to your aid, "'and take whatever happens calmly. "'I assure you, tis the best way, and the only way.' "'He untied the cord and poured the bulk of the gold "'out upon the table. "'The merchant watched him with amazement.' For all the robber knew, the door might be opened at any moment, but he went on with numbering the coins as nonchalantly as if seated in the treasury of the corn exchange. When he had counted half the sum the bag contained, he poured the loose money by handfuls into the wallet that had held his mother's contribution, and pushed towards the merchant the bag in which remained five hundred thalers. "'You are to know,' he said with a smile, abandoning his bent forward posture, that when I visited my mother this afternoon, she quite unexpectedly gave me five hundred thalers, so I shall accept from you only half the sum I demanded this morning. "'Your mother?' cried the merchant. "'Who is your mother?' "'The Empress, as I told you. "'Oh, at last I understand your uneasiness. "'You wished to see that document. "'Why didn't you ask for it? "'I asked for the money plainly enough. "'Well, here it is. "'Examine seal and sign manual.' The merchant minutely scrutinised the great seal and the signature above it. "'I don't know what to think,' stammered Herr Goebel at last, 
gazing across the table with bewildered face. Think of your good fortune. A moment ago you imagined a thousand thalers were lost. Now it is but five hundred thalers invested, and you are a partner with the royal house of the empire. End of chapter 2